0: Hi, everyone. It's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic story with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. This episode is a little unique because this episode is derived from a panel I moderated for Code for America called Bringing Everyone to the Table, Fostering a Diverse and Inclusive Culture in Civic Tech, back at the end of September. I figured since we haven't really covered Civic Tech on Black Tech Unplugged, this would be the perfect time to do so. So on this episode, I'm joined by Andrea Visa, the Director of Talent at United States Digital Service, also known as USDS. Chris Kwong, the Co-Founder and Director of Operations at Coding It Ford and Zarin Sipongal, the Chief Financial and People Officer at Code for America. All three of these individuals are leaders in the civic tech space. On this episode, we discuss what civic tech really means, why it's an excellent career choice, how you can get into the field, and why diversity and inclusion is actually important to them. And let me tell you, these organizations are highly dedicated to having diverse thinkers on their workforce, and they are truly walking the walk. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen to this episode. Now, real quick before I jump in, I do have to make one announcement. You might know or not know, but last year Black Tech Unplug was chosen to go to South by Southwest to do a live podcast. However, Miss Arona came and reared her ugly head and shut down all of that. But this year, South by Southwest is coming back, and guess what? I've submitted a panel for the conference. The title is called Diversity and Inclusion, Buzzword, Movement, or BS. Now, I've submitted the panel, but I do need your help. Between now and November 20th, the community can vote for their favorite speakers and panels that they want to see. So I need a small favor from y'all to go vote for Black Tech Unplugged's panel to get back on the South by Southwest stage. Information to vote is in the show notes and on the website. So go to blacktechunplug.com and you will see information on how to vote for the panel. So if you would take a few extra moments between now and November 20th, create an account and vote yes for my panel, I would really, really appreciate it. So enough about me. Let's get into this episode. Let's get it. We have three amazing individuals that are a part of this panel today, and I'm going to have them start off with an introduction. So let's start with Zarin Sarpongal. Zaren, do you care to do an introduction of your role and then also how you got into
1: civic tech? Sure, happy to, and good morning and good afternoon, everyone. So um, I'm Zaren Sarpungo. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, and my journey into civic tech was a bit roundabout. Um, I have always really been focused on working at mission-driven organizations that enable social change. So I was in the private sector prior to this, working at a biopharmaceutical company, um, which was developing antibiotics for resistant bacteria, which is definitely a public health need. Um, and I saw the pros and cons of what it meant to be a for-profit, publicly traded company when I was working on that public health mission. And so, was pretty excited um, to come to Code for America because we're a nonprofit, and I really like the mix of both technology, which I think can have a huge impact on human life, with government, which services so and serves so many people in our country. So um, for me, when they wanted a finance and people leader at Code for America and hired me, I felt like I hit the jackpot um and still feel that way.
2: Great. Thanks, Zaren. Next up I want to introduce Andrea Visa. Hi Dina. I'm Andrea Visa. I lead um, all of our talent and people initiatives at USDS, and I fell into civic tech. Um, I started as a recruiter and really had a passion connecting with people, understanding their stories, and then helping them take that um, next step in their careers. And um, after doing that for, um, you know, over four years, I found USDS um, from one of our current recruiters, who's amazing, and um, really aligned with uh, the mission that just incorporated my love of recruiting um, on top of that. And for the last year and a half, I've been leading our talent team here and really focusing on improving um, just the people experience here. So everything from talent management, our recruiting strategy, event strategy, data analytics, and um, also so just that transition piece into um, into their journey after USDS.
0: Great, thank you for your intro. And last but never least, we have Chris Kwong. Chris, tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, Dina, and so great to be here. My name is Chris Kwong. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I work as one of the co-founders and as director of operations for Coding and Forward. So my journey in civic tech, I think, started in a class when I was still an undergraduate, learning about the fantastic organizations, USDS, Code for America. I think one of the reasons I'm so excited to be here and seeing that those two organizations weren't necessarily as reachable or accessible for young people. And so as someone who had an interest, a passion in technology, but also in public service and civic engagement, wanted to create a space where young people like me who are in college or just out of it could find civic tech as an attractive opportunity. And so came together with a couple of peers and launched Coding at Florida about three and a half years. And now we're really just working to show young people that working in civic tech is a really fantastic place to be.
0: And Chris, that is a great segue because we're going to dive into some of those facts in regards to how to get people into the civic tech sector. And to begin our conversation, so we've been using the term civic tech a lot, right? And so I wanted to define civic tech. So one thing that I found while doing some research was that Forbes said that there's technically no industry standard for the definition of civic tech. There's some broadly defined definitions out there. And it's thought of as technologies that are deployed to enhance the relationship between people and government by giving them more of a voice to participate in public decision making and or to improve the delivery of services. So for the sake of today's conversation, I want to ask each of the panelists to take a moment and explain what civic tech means to you. And let's start with Zaren.
1: Yeah, I think for me, and Dina, the definition you just shared, which I think Omidyar also references a lot, at the heart of it, that is what civic tech really is, right? At the heart of it, civic tech is about how, for me, you use technology and deploy it in a thoughtful, respectful, dignified way so that people can have an experience with government services that is different and much better than sometimes how you think about traditional government services. And technology is at the heart of what has brought about a lot of great change and how people interact with various other services that we have right now. And we can bring that to government um, at the moment. So for me, it's civic tech is pretty core to how we can equitably distribute services and make them a lot more accessible to people who are interacting with government and reach people who may have been marginalized um, in a way that we probably couldn't otherwise.
0: Chris, what about from your perspective? What is civic tech?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think Zaren hit on a bunch of the big things and, and the aspiration that interacting with government, receiving government services can be as efficient, enjoyable even as Many of the digital experiences that we have in our day-to-day lives, whether it's ordering something off of Amazon or anything like that, there's no reason why getting access to social services or, or filing for unemployment should be any different. And I think there's another element that I like to think about with civic tech is there's a lot of work that's being done that might not be public facing, but working with the dedicated expert career civil servants who've spent years, if not decades, inside government and working with them to make sure that they have the tools and the modern software that they can use to do their jobs effectively and ultimately um, better serve everyday Americans. So I think that's an important element as well.
2: And Andrea? Definitely, um, I think uh, reiterating on the points Aaron and Chris made, but um, I would just say focusing on the people. So it could be the civil servants and um, the back end support, um, but then also the American citizens and improving their experience. So it really is just um, the culmination of of government, technology, and then people all coming together.
0: And Andrea, I love that you say people. Because one of the things that I've experienced from talking to you all, but also from individuals I know who work in civic tech, the workplace environment, the reputation that it has, is that everyone is friendly and welcoming, which, as we know, might be a different reputation than some of the corporate counterparts that we experience. I want to dive into why is that? Why are the people so friendly and welcoming in civic tech environments?
2: I'll answer first. Um, I think it's, at USDS, it's a few things. So one of our core values is go where the work is. And so, you know, not at this time, um, given everything, but we ask and require individuals to pick up and move to DC to join, um, our cause. And so I think that camaraderie that comes about with that is that we're all in this together. We're all pushing to make a change together. It really builds this, like, crazy, um, bond with your colleagues that you could work with just for six months, maybe a few years, but it feels like such a long time. You've gone through so much together, but then I think at just like a higher level, everyone is so passionate about the work that they're doing and, um, creating a change, a positive change in the world. And just that, um, I don't, it's infectious and, um, welcoming and, um, inviting. So I, I don't know. Everyone's just so great.
1: I'll build on uh, what Andrea just said. I think, you know, you we attract really good mission-oriented people, right? Like you get engineers who want to work in social good. And we say like what we're trying to hire is really hire um, motivated change agents that want to have meaningful results. And as a result, you're naturally going to attract people who care deeply about this work. And that, I think, has a lot to do. With creating a friendly and welcoming culture. I think the other things around it um, is there is usually a really intentional focus on inclusion, which I'm sure we're going to get to in civic tech. Um, but those things also create an environment where people feel welcomed in the work that they're doing and really feel like they belong and can contribute meaningfully. And similar to Andrea, like one of our core values is empathy is our operating system, right? And so we look for people who have either a collaborative mindset, those that can put people at the center of the work that they're doing as you're hiring. And that leads into and bleeds into the culture that you're creating in the organization.
3: And I think just to chime in as someone that is still, I think fairly new to civic tech, the the warmth has always been something that is been so attractive. And I think it is shown why the civic tech space has grown so much and I think thinking about my peers who maybe are graduating from college, they have so many options and no one is coming into civic tech because they're looking to strike it rich or they're um, thinking that this is going to necessarily be the way for them to live that lifestyle, but they're doing it because they show up. And I think they're doing it, feeling empowered by the people who are already in the space. And I remember just having conversations, so many people as a student saying, hey, I'm trying to learn about what civic tech is. I took one class and I I can't get enough. And so many people were so willing to take time and grab coffee or to chat about their experiences. And it made me feel so welcomed that so much of what we try to do at Coding It Forward is extend that. We had an open door for our team. How can we extend that for so many more young people? And I think that has just been one of the most fantastic parts of working in civic tech is the people.
0: From an organizational standpoint, one thing that every single one of you mentioned was core values and how the core values helped to create that environment. And one thing that I want to even take a step further into is let's go into more details about how each of your organizations is taking that conscious approach. So how are they building culture in your environments? We know that things have to start from the top down, but what are some of the things that are maybe even everyday things or long-term things that you are implemented within your culture to do that? Zaryn, why don't we start with
1: you? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do that. And I think, you know, to me um, and in our organization, culture is really a fabric of a lot of day-to-day actions that you take and you have to be intentional about it, right? So starting with your values is useful, right, around what does it really mean to bring empathy to life in the organization. But I think a couple things that I want to say um, that we are trying to do as examples is as a way to foster an inclusive culture is one is like, let's introduce ourselves and say your preferred pronouns, right? Like it's a small act, but I remember joining the organization and it feeling incredibly powerful and welcoming coming from an organization that didn't really necessarily even think about that, right? Like it just was a signal that I could express myself um, holistically um, into this group. So that's one we have a DEI committee and we've tried to be really intentional about how do we include, how can we be inclusive in meetings? So can we send agendas ahead of time? Can we make sure different people are being note takers? Right? And those minor things do foster a culture of inclusivity or even when previously when we were even all together, like we would all zoom into our meetings, even if we were in the same room, because if there was one person that was remote, we didn't want them to feel left out, right? And that there was a conversation happening separately. Um, we also have a culture committee and others in the organization that foster, how do we keep connected as team members together, right? So it could be things like when we were all together, we would have tea or chai, right, um, together at the office. Or food was very big in our organization and different people would cook, even in our little kitchen. Um, or like we would do a day of service, right, where it was a good way for us to come together. And this year we're doing it around voting um, and trying to do it remotely um, to encourage people. And the last thing I'd say is like, how do you really celebrate successes and share connections through the organization? So we have weekly wins every week, which is on Friday where all of us get together. And it's a lovely way to like really celebrate and acknowledge everything that's going on in the organization and create connections so people can see themselves in different elements of the work and the connectivity between it. So, I'd say small things make a big difference with culture, and you can put some things together in place that foster it.
3: I think for for Cody and Ford, culture functions a little bit differently just because we're a small organization. There are three of us who work full time, but we support big influxes of students and maybe 10 or 12 week cycles a couple of times a year. And so for us, when we're bringing a lot of people who don't know each other, they're coming from different colleges, different universities, how can you create culture in such a short period of time? And I think for us, it really comes down to creating space and making sure that people feel welcome, that this is a space that is theirs. And we pride ourselves for being kind of four young people, by young people. And I think in civic tech, broadly, one of the things that we've heard from our fellows is that they don't necessarily have a space on their campuses or in their computer science departments to be having difficult conversations about technology, whether it's ethics, whether it's how technology can be used as a tool to oppress and making sure that we create space um, for fellows to have conversations with like-minded peers. And I think what Zaren said about celebrating wins, wanting to make sure that working government is hard. I think, especially if you're just in school. And so if you're struggling, but if you've gotten past a hurdle, making sure that you can celebrate that, making sure um, your fellow fellows can help you recognize the hard work that you're putting day in and day out are just, I think two of the things that have really created a culture for us in a short period of time.
2: And then I'll just briefly add, I think USDS, we are positioned a little differently. And um, like I mentioned in the last answer, we have previously required everyone to move to DC. So right now we are in a culture shift. How do we go from a completely in-office environment where we're engaging every day to being completely remote? And so that is something that we are iterating on um with every new hire cohort we've had a lot of new individuals join us during this time which has been great but how do how does that culture translate to um new people joining us and so you know we have our weekly staff meetings where we highlight wins we have agency teams kind of break down the work that they're doing because you know some things are you know um Shorter term engagements, longer term engagements. And, you know, now, since we are so separate, how do we stay connected with the work and the people um, who we used to see every single day? And um, I'll just say one of my favorite uh, new Past times we've always had a kudos, which is like a celebration where you can anonymously um, recognize your colleagues, and now it's become themed because of Zoom. And so that is something that's very entertaining, um, and I think people have come
0: to really look forward to every week. Bring up a very, very important point because let's talk about COVID a little bit. That's something that's affecting all of us, and I want to just address in more detail how each of your organizations have shifted due to COVID. Obviously, they're still, everyone's working from home for the most part, but how has your organization shift and what were some of the conscious ideas that you had to think about when you were making that shift? And let's start with Chris.
3: Definitely. Um, that's a great question, Gina. I think very similar to USDS for a long time, coding at Ford really prided ourselves in a high-touch in-person experience. Very similar, go where the work is, be in the room with your users, whether they're residents or the federal employees that they would work with. And so transitioning everyone remote, I think recognizing that the infrastructure of government sometimes will move a little bit differently and making sure that we had all of our students had the technologies and the tools that they needed. So making sure that there was funding for if we needed folks to have laptop, hardware, software that they needed to contribute, making sure that they had that. And I think one thing also in responding is looking forward now that colleges and universities across the country have had a litany of reopening plans. Some are in person, some are hybrid. Many are are still in a remote setting we heard from so many young people on our network that they weren't necessarily looking forward to to taking classes over Zoom. And I think in this moment of national uncertainty with so much going on, they wanted a more direct, concrete way to serve and to make a difference. So for the first time, In our short history, we were able to spin up a fall fellowship program. Traditionally, we only bring students in over the summer. And so we'd heard from a couple hundred students that this is something that they were really interested in. And we get excited that we'll have uh, 40 fellows starting with us in just under two weeks now working at Census and the National Institutes of Health, which are two agencies that have been in the news um, for, for very important reasons. And so I think moving very concretely to make sure that young people could, could meet the moment where it is. And I think I just wanted to mention, lastly, we had a couple of students this summer who were at other parts of Health and Human Services who were working on and directly supporting the efforts to aggregate, disseminate information about COVID research and, and all of that. And so I think from a very concrete way, that was another way that our organization is able to respond.
0: And that's awesome, Chris. Andrea, what about from your perspective?
2: So, <clears throat> USDS, we um, we've been able to support um, on board remotely um, for almost thirty candidates since uh, March, which is um, normally how many people we actually um, bring on board yearly. So that's been amazing. Our agency teams have um, pivoted to uh, remote onboarding experiences for all new hires, which has just been great, and everything's been running smoothly, which is something that um, you know, has just helped us with, um, our COVID response and how we sit within, um, you know, the white house and where we're positioned, we're able to actually just go in and support a lot of different agencies, um, across the board. And I think most government agencies right now are, um, have some type of COVID response, um, going on. So, um, Whenever we're selecting those projects, we really kind of pivot back to what is the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people and the greatest amount of need and uh, figuring out, um, you know, our personnel capacity and how we can help support that. But we do still have long term engagements going on at various agencies that still need um, coverage. So it's it's a it's a balance between those two. But um, I would say we've been we've been able to grow during this time um, and provide that USDS experience to individuals who might have taken a little bit longer to get here because they live across the country and that, and that logistically was a little bit more difficult to, to, to make happen.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And Zarin, what about from your perspective?
1: Yeah, from our perspective, and I'll focus a bit on what we've done internally um, at the organization with the shift for COVID as um, Cassandra and I did, like, we're also now all working, remotely um, and so some of the things we did is how do we enable setup for people with remote so you know provided a stipend but also told people like take what you need right um, like different I think sometimes what's hard with people policies or um, is how to be equitable because people start from different baselines on it so we said here's the baseline and if you need more just let us know um, we did something similar. Uh, for just providing flexibility because everyone's navigating their own personal situations at a time we're similar to Andrea like we're hiring a lot and our work has increased right so we um, gave people managers uh, like a customized list of the types of things that they could have conversations with their team members about um, as a way to basically put in place things or adapt those things as You know things keep evolving for each of us. um, On what do they need to be able to show up to work effectively? I think the basic premise that we have tried to do is again, let's use empathy and let's use that with our employees and see what's going to be needed um, for you in that moment, right? So we, you know, we always do engagement surveys and we did more of those, like we did pulse checks with people, right, just to see where people were in the moment. And as a result of that, we put in some additional wellness benefits. for people in the organization, including mental health benefits at this time. Um, We just provided more training and support with managers on how to show up with people effectively. Uh, We increased our communication as senior leadership to staff because there wasn't that cohesiveness as you would get if you're just walking around or having a water cooler chat. And we also like mid-year, we amended our performance review process, right? Like we made it strength-based only um, because it was at a moment where people were already navigating a lot of turmoil in their lives. And so we're like, let's focus on strengths and how could we leverage that? One of my favorite things we've done though is we, one of our traditions when new hires were coming on, because we're onboarding a bunch of new hires remotely as well, is we used to give them a swag uh, like you know our track jacket a water bottle our socks when they started um and you would get that in person at weekly wins now there's a photoshop slide of them getting that exact same thing when they start which is just a lovely way to create one levity but also a connection to how we were before which has been super fun so let's find those moments that allow you to feel connected still as a team but Keep the people who you're working with in mind and everyone's going through something different.
0: And that is great. First of all, congratulations to all of you and your organizations for being able to adapt during the COVID times. It hasn't been easy for everyone. And one thing that I wanted to point out and highlight is that with mental health during this time period, it's so great to see organizations helping individuals with their mental health. And another aspect is also helping them get the access that they need. We take Wi-Fi and having internet for granted. A lot of areas and a lot of people don't have access to internet. They don't have a laptop. So being able to provide for your employees and individuals is very important, and kudos to all of you for that. And I want to shift a little bit because we're talking about COVID from an employee perspective, but now I want to talk about it from an organization and output perspective. So because we're all still working from home and basically in quarantine, I do want to ask, how have your organizations been serving people or I would call your clients during this time?
2: You know, the government is not remote friendly and slowly they're becoming remote friendly and, um. Uh, like I mentioned, I'll only speak from our like people HR perspective, but our partners have really um, gone above and beyond to ensure that um, I know my previous example, just our new hires um, are just having a great experience. They're able to um, obtain all of their assets uh, remotely, um, promptly before their first day, all of these things that sometimes did not happen in person, which is which is crazy. So it's it's just warming to me that we're actually almost able to provide a better experience remotely right now for all of our new hires uh, versus in person. So that's just my quick take on that.
3: I think I mentioned a little bit about how some of our fellows and folks related to Coding and Ford have addressed it kind of outwardly. I think more on an inward, I wanted to recognize a couple of other um, organizations that I know kind of folks in Coding and Florida our fellows have been engaged with that have been serving people in COVID times as we've seen kind of state unemployment portals crashing under the weight of folks trying to, to file for unemployment, for example. It's organizations and efforts like the United States Digital Response. It's an all-volunteer effort that that is bringing technologists in to, to partner with um Governments at any level, local, state, county, federal, to to make sure that they have the talent at the end of the day to process test results, to do contact tracing, to support um, absentee registration and and voting. And so I think wanted to make sure that we threw that out there as another organization that is doing really important work around technology as related to covid
1: Thanks. And from our side, uh, some of our programs have expanded dramatically um, during these times. So, for example, um, Get CalFresh, which is our program that allows people to get food assistance in California, saw volumes that were four times, you know, what we would normally have seen um, because the need just increased pretty dramatically, unfortunately, um, given COVID. So, you know, we've definitely been increasing a lot of our programs around the safety net, like Get Cal Fresh. We have a program called Get Your Refund, um, which also allowed people to get their stimulus checks um, as well as EITC tax credits. Um, so, all of those uh, have seen significant increases. We uh, took on a new program called Pandemic EBT, which allowed people. Um, to get food credits or food um, assistance, especially when kids were no longer in school, right? So the school lunches that you would normally get and with schools such shutting down, those did not exist anymore. Um, so I think one of the things that has kept a lot of us motivated is you definitely see the need for an organization like ours or others in the ecosystem um, to really support um, people where they need it at the moment. And then also our brigade volunteers, um, which there are 90 chapters across the country around, have also done some tremendous work in showing up um, in their communities and serving local needs um, at this time, which has been really gratifying to see as well.
4: Thank you all for your perspectives on, from a COVID perspective. I do want to shift gears to another issue that has been uh, taking us in 2020, and that's the racial injustice situations that have occurred are Justice for Breonna Taylor and the murder of George Floyd, and race has been a forefront issue in our lives. And not only in our lives, but also in the workplace. So not only are individuals calling for more diversity in the workplace, but companies and organizations are doubling down on their diversity initiatives and goals. So I want to ask each of you to provide the audience the specific initiatives that your organization has taken in regard to diversity.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, this is something that we are feel very passionately about at USDS and um, just a few different things that um, we are tackling around this. So, you know, we actually have in-house recruiters and um, I would say about half of them focus just on reaching out to um, different um Groups, so minority groups, um, ethnicities, all of those different types of things, and um, the bulk of um, individuals that come into USDS are referrals. So that is such an important um, piece: is that outreach and and um, spreading that word of mouth, and um, and then also, you know, we are attending conferences that focus on um, underrepresented groups, so um, Afro Tech. Um, lesbians who tech, um, and last week we participated in black is tech. And so just, those are just to name a few. Um, and like I said, it's just getting the word out there because I did not know, um, what civic tech was. I didn't know what a software engineer was, um, you know, because, um, my, my family, my, my dad is an immigrant and he didn't go to college. How would I know what that is? And so until I fell into this space, um, and became aware, I had no idea. And so really building that brand awareness is so important. And, um, I will say, like you mentioned, right now is a little bit of a difficult time. So right now I would say USDS is we have a lot of efforts and putting a lot of um, effort and initiatives behind this, but uh, we're not, we're not, we're not doing the best in that diversity and inclusion space. And I think, um, you know, owning that and really just kind of making it publicly known and then, um, you know, just striving to be better is something that, you know, we're doing every single day.
3: To follow Andrea, I I think very similarly, our goal at Coding It Forward every year is to recruit fellowship classes and cohorts that strongly represent and look like the people that they're serving. And at the end of the day, that's all the folks, everyone who lives in the United States. And so making sure that there is that representation, I think, has continued, continuously been our North Star since we founded Coding It Forward back in 2017. In terms of Outreach. We recognize that awareness of civic tech is low just across the board, but I think there there are definitely differential levels of that across um, different groups. And so, in our recruiting every cycle, we are very focused on making sure that when we're reaching out to students across the country, that we're targeting affinity groups and that we're reaching out specifically to groups like the National Society for Black Engineers, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, out in STEM women in computer science to make sure that they can see the work that we're doing at Coding It Forward and the mission and why it is that, that civic tech is so important. And one thing that we've been trying to do more recently is to take a look at our recruitment and our application steps and understand at each stage, are there elements of unconscious bias that we can eliminate and making sure that our review and our selection process is as objective as possible and kind of screening out any potential for things to, to creep in there. And then I think from diversity standpoint in another perspective, one thing in recruiting students that we're really cognizant of is socioeconomic status in, in access as well. And so making sure that we're reaching out to not just universities like Harvard where I graduated, but, public institutions, colleges that are not on maybe the East or West codes and maybe are more in the Midwest or in the South. And so those are two other elements that are really important to us to make sure that the movement that we're building is as representative as it can be. Um, as Andrea mentioned, there's we recognize there's still work to be done, but it's work that we're deeply committed to. Yeah, I want
1: to echo a lot of what Chris and Andrea said. It's um, Uh, Diversity and representation is incredibly important at Code for America, and inclusion is also really important. It's um, just as important when, you know, we should definitely look at our hiring pipeline, and we also have done a lot to make sure we are um, getting people into the pipeline from a hiring process that are representative. And, you know, what happens once somebody is in that hiring process and once they join the organization, what happens then as well is also incredibly um, important. So similar to Chris, I think we've done a lot um, around looking at our hiring process to see how that could be as equitable as possible. Um, One of the things that we have put in place as of a few years ago is the Rooney Rule, basically, which is, you know, whenever somebody... Uh, comes on site or the panel that comes on site, is there at least one candidate in that pool that furthers us towards our diversity goals um, as an organization, Um, which is important. We also think through, you know, just, I I say always like measure what matters to you in this. Um, And so one of the things that I've been proud of is we, you know, we look at our engagement survey, which I've talked about also pretty, um, Deeply and look at it with a breakdown of like race and gender to see if there are any disparities that are being created in people's experiences. And in performance reviews and promotions and salary increases, we do retros, right, on demographic data um, to see if we've unintentionally created inequities um, in our processing and systems. So I think those are the types of things that we're doing across the board. Um, and then I think there's an element of also just the support that you provide to employees who, you know, uh, come into your organization. So we have um, like one thing for us, but we have an employee resource group called our Tones, which is for people of color, which um, also at times allows people to find a sense of community um, as things at times continue to be heavy in the, in the world and in our lives.
4: And, Zarin, you brought up a very great point around measurement, and I just want to take a second and have us all zoom out for a second and just think of tech in general. In general, we obviously know that companies aren't releasing their diversity numbers, and no one wants to show them and doesn't want to share. So I do want to circle back around measurement, and, Zarin, let's start with you around what are you measuring and if there's any diversity and inclusion reporting that your organization does.
1: Yeah, so we do have a report, it's on our website, um, that we share related to our diversity um, statistics. Um, And so it looks at race, gender, intersectionality, um, as well as a breakdown between, you know, by department and by leadership, what does that look like? And then we also, like that gets put out like on an annualish basis, but we also do a report out to our board on a quarterly basis, uh, which includes all of those numbers. Um, and monthly, we look at it as a leadership team. The other stat that we look at internally, which we haven't published as much, is um, people who have lived experience with some of the work that we do. That's also pretty important to us as we think about what um, diversity looks like in creating products that and programs that really do serve the people who are impacted by them. And so lived experience is also something we try to recruit for and also look at um, from a measurement standpoint.
2: And since 2018, USDS has been reporting diversity data. Um, Some years it's better than others. Um, But one thing that um, I'm very proud of is that we, our um, organization is represented 50% um, uh, female as well as our leadership. But going into that, being a government organization, we there are some challenges there, you know, the government only recognizes two genders. The government only recognizes about a handful of ethnicities and two races and that is not how we identify ourselves. That is not how Americans identify themselves. So, um, you know, our diversity report is also on our website at the bottom at our footer, um, newly updated. And so you're able to access that. But you know, as we were going through and um, collecting this information this year, you know, it really came to us, like, this is not who we are, uh, but this is all the information we have. So right now we're in the midst of uh, reassessing and um, collecting demographic information from our employees in a safe way um, and private way um, that we can accurately report out in what USDSers look like and who we are. Um, So that's something that's really exciting and um, really tackles the um, issues that we face. And I know that there was a a comment in the chat around the census and what they recognize and all of those things. So um, we're doing some work on our end and we'll see see what ripple effects come out of that and um, what one of those, Potentially could be, you know, pay inequalities and things like that. So it's um it's exciting, hard, um but like I said, it's just making that information readily available and tackling the hard problems.
3: For say and forward, I will say that we have not reported diversity data in the past. It's something that we're actually very much in the process of doing right now and I'm hoping that in the next week or two that we'll be able to follow in the footsteps of Code for America, USDS, um, to organizations that we look up to and being able to share information about not just our fellows because that is public. We can show everyone who who's participating in our programs but More of that pipeline in that funnel and making sure that the funnel is representative, not just at the top and at the bottom, but at every stage along the way. And so making sure that we're measuring that and and we have that data and um, is something that we're looking forward to sharing. And I think even more looking forward to improving what is depicted in the report.
0: Great, great information, everyone.
3: And, and to maybe piggyback off of Zaren, I think one thing that we've talked around but maybe not mentioned explicitly is just how human-centered civic tech is and, and making sure that people are always, and so for me, I, one of my favorite memories in civic tech is just sitting down and actually talking to the people that would use or engage with something that I was building or being a part of and seeing, whether it's their eyes light up and was like, this is much better than the status quo. This is something that would make a meaningful difference and i think engaging with someone on a person-to-person level reminds you how deep an impact civic tech can have and, and it's easy sometimes to just get lost in the abstract oh i'm going to build this or that but understanding who, who's on the other side of that
0: all right we have one more question and we have to make it quick so let's say under one minute so change is hard for everyone including the government how do you work to make incremental change without losing sight of complete digital transformation?
1: I'll take it. I think that change is hard and change is not impossible, right? Like, and that's what is important to note is, I think what we have to remember is people who work in government are also inspired to make a difference in the lives of their public constituents. Like, that's what it is. So one of the things that we feel like we do is um, help enable how you can do that in an effective way. And sometimes those changes are incremental. Um, Sometimes you're taking not just like, here's how you do it, but also help us help you figure out how to do that yourself. And so those gradual little moments actually do add up to something big. But always remembering that the people who are working on it have good intentions to do that.
3: I I think as Aaron mentioned, momentum is so important. Little changes snowball um, in government and you kind of can, can see the results of good work. So um, moving in the positive direction, not letting good be the or perfect be the enemy of the good, I think, are all tenets that I've seen.
0: And that is a great note to end on. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dita McKay and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. If you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. And lastly, please don't forget to vote for Black Tech Unplugs live podcast at South by Southwest. The information is on the website at blacktechunplug.com as well as in the show notes. Until next time.